Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. G'day. How you doing, gents? Hope you're doing well or okay or doing well at doing okay. Uh, today, I wanted to do a follow-up to the video I put out a while ago called Real Men Don't Cry, the hustle versus healing video. Uh, but before that, I want to I show you something. See this? This tree I bought off the back of a truck, literally from Spain. It's uh, 400 to 500 years old. And there's six of them in the property now. They came in, literally came in a truck and Antonio dug a big hole and stuck them in. So now I've started building my Babylonian garden. That's how I've been healing my traumas. How about you guys? <laughs> so I received uh, probably the biggest personal response that I've ever received from a video from, from that previous video. We've had video, other videos that got more clicks, but in terms of people writing to me privately, the types of comments that we received, this clearly struck a huge nerve with men all around the world. Uh, this permission to feel, this permission to, you know, cry, to, to feel some kind of sorrow, to accept the parts of yourself that aren't perfectly optimized, that aren't hustle monsters, uh, and to allow yourself some space to feel what you need to feel, whether that is sorrow or loneliness or frustration, uh, and to start to develop processes to actually heal those issues. And it would come no, as no surprise to you or any other man pretty much on the planet that it is not generally encouraged that men are very open and vulnerable. It's not encouraged that they cry. Uh, in fact, the opposite is encouraged in most circumstances. There's only a few situations where societies in general sanction male emotions, like football matches. Like you're allowed to cry at a football match if your team wins or loses. I, I don't know, I don't watch sports, but you're allowed to have emotions about that. Uh, men are allowed to have anger and violence in some, some sense or some degree, depending on where they are. Other places, that's, that's shamed as well. Uh, and then what else? Maybe when you go to your parents' funeral or, some, or you have a baby and you're allowed to be like, oh, it's just like me, or whatever people do. But in general, men don't have institutionalized ways to express and process emotion. And I'm here to talk about this today from a, from a survival perspective, but from a perspective of thriving. Because the interesting thing about humans is that we are walking wounded. We not only can operate when we're crippled, we will operate when we're crippled, right? And I don't just mean physically crippled. I mean, if you are someone who's had extreme trauma or, or you perceived it as extreme trauma, you've been brought up in situations where you didn't receive certain aspects of love or encouragement uh, that you needed, uh, or you, know, you had someone do something terrible to you or circumstances did something terrible to you, you will survive all the way up to the point that you don't survive, right? Like you will, you will find a way to get up each day and breathe and eat and feed yourself and do what you have to, to to survive and you'll get through. And this is a magnificent quality of humans is that even if they've just witnessed something awful or gone through something terrible, they can find ways to compartmentalize experiences. You know, let's say they've, they're in a wartime and they see something terrible, they won't necessarily just fall in a heap and experience the, the despair and, and uh, you know, sorrow and whatever 
uh, of that experience, they might just compartmentalize it, put it somewhere, the, the, the subconscious blocks it away and says, we can't deal with that now, we don't have the resources to deal with that now, so we'll just forget it even, or we'll numb it, or we'll uh, put it into your dreamscape, or hold it in the tissues, and that's, a, that's a, in the musculature, in the, in the, you know, in the, in the, uh, the tissues, the sinews, uh, that's where we do hold a lot of our damage and our trauma and our pain and our sorrow, like it's held inside the body and compartmentalized and then just left there until such a time as you can deal with it. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody deals with it. All of us have been traumatized by life. It's part of the process of, you know, when you're ripped out of the womb into the, into the light. That's traumatic just to start with, unless you have like a home water birth where it just like glides out like a porpoise. And then you have a choir of hippies just omming om to the baby as it comes out and goes, I'm a perfect child. I don't, I don't know. And then hippie, hippie parents screw them up anyway because they make them eat tofu and, and their birthday cakes are made out of fucking carob instead of chocolate. And that traumatizes a kid as well. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that we will be damaged. We will accrue damage and we will continually accrue damage. Right? That's, that's the nature of humans is that every day you have cells in your body that are being destroyed or damaged and then re being rebuilt and healed. Right, so the idea of healing is it's not like, a, oh, it's only some people heal, or that's only for pussies, or that's only for guys who are really messed up, that they need to go and seek out some way of healing. You are damaging, being damaged, and you are healing all the time. That is, that is part of the human condition. And maybe, maybe this makes more sense if you think about it in sporting terms. Like, for anyone who's done any basic level of training in the gym and has any understanding of the science, you'll know that when you go in and lift heavy weights, it rips your muscle fibers, it damages the body to a certain degree, which is manageable. Right now, if we just go in, if we just literally went into the gym after never going to the gym and just bench pressed all day for eight hours, uh, as much as we could, probably you would rip something and it would be damage that is counterproductive. Right, but if you go whatever, three, four times a week, or you have a, have a physical practice and you stretch yourself past your original limit, you will accrue damage. Now, this, now, there's very few men that would say, yeah, go to the gym, do all that, and then don't be a pussy about it. Just fucking don't stretch, don't go to the sauna, like don't worry about your nutrition, like you don't need to heal. That's like, I'm tough. Like most, most intelligent uh, bodybuilders or, or people who go to the gym wouldn't think like that. They would think, I damage my body, and then I repair my body, and I do that in cycles. And overall, the testing myself or stretching my comfort zone physically means that I get stronger and, and bigger and you know, more fit over time as my body changes and adapts to the new stresses and learns to deal with higher levels actually of damage, high levels of trauma, and it becomes stronger and better at dealing with that. You add processes to that, you do a warm down stretch, you go to the sauna, you get a massage, you look after your nutrition, uh, you know, you have your glucosamine and your, and your joint stuff and your essential fatty oils and your creatine or whatever it is that you're taking to, to assist you. And of course you do, because that's smart. You have to process the fact that you're damaging yourself along the way. Why don't we think about our emotions like that? Why don't we think about our past like that? The things that happened particularly in our childhood, you know, those, those formative years, there's no escaping that, that they form you, right? We don't want to, most people who work with us don't want to be subject to extreme conditioning. They don't want to be tied to their conditioning, but we are all conditioned. And 
we all accrue damage throughout our lives on the various levels of what it means to be human. And if we do not work out a way to heal and process, we'll just do the best that this machine can do. As I said, you will su survive probably, you know, until the point that you don't, let's say if it gets too much and you top yourself or you're not looking after your health or something, but basically you will live and you'll probably still have a more or less functional life, even though you may be feeling shit, even though you may be feeling unworthy, unloved, uh, in physical and emotional pain, uh, stuck inside your own thought loops of negativity, uh, believing belief structures that are negative by nature and uh, directly affect your happiness because they mean you can't see the world as anything other than negative, right? You can still live like that, but it's not great living, I would say. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to get therapy. What I'm saying, well, I kind of am. I'm saying that everyone needs to do something that is therapeutic in their life. And I've certainly met uh, quite a few people throughout my life who certainly don't need any kind of specific therapy. Right, they don't need to go and see a counselor or a shaman or to uh, you know, do dense medicine work, for example, plant medicine work. But that's because their lives are therapeutic. And I've seen that quite often with a lot of women that I've met. Not, not all by, by any means. I certainly meet plenty of women who are highly strong and emotionally numb and uh, you know, have sexual issues and so on, traumatic experiences. But... I've met more, more women than men who live in a therapeutic way. And what that means is they do a whole number of practices and maybe they don't see them as practices. Maybe they just see them as, this is what I like doing. But they do a bunch of things that have the effect of just flushing things through, whether that's physical toxins or emotions or uh, looping thought processes or stuckness in the body. They do something to let that out, to process it. And that's really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about healing, right? So if we look back to our sports analogy, what are we doing is we're getting the lactic acid out. We are, you know, breaking down the calcification that's happening between joints. Uh, you know, we're repairing muscle fibers and so on. So somebody who lives a therapeutic type of life will do things like dance, right? So why do you think girls like dancing? Partially, if it's in a club, it's to get the attention of men and part of the, you know, I'm beautiful and I'm part of a female hierarchy and all of that kind of attention stuff. But women do dance by themselves or with each other or in their bedrooms. Or you'll see women be the first ones to get up and dance to a DJ or a band. Uh, <clears throat> girls talk about that. I just need to dance. Do you need to dance? When was the last time you felt the need to just get up and do a tap dance and a Jimmy Joe jig and a shimmy? Never, right? <laughs> like men don't, never, very rarely do we feel the need to dance. But we do feel the need to express ourselves physically. So men will do it in a more masculine conditioned way <clears throat> through contact sports or the gym, getting in fights on the street, uh, whatever they need to do to express that physically. But the, the, the notion of dancing combi combines a number of therapeutic aspects, right? It has movement, but it has movement in nonlinear ways uh, and I'm not talking about like formalized ballet, for example, right? Like that's a, that's a totally different thing. I'm talking about expressing your body to music. So that involves improvisation, moving into flow, uh, sinking, immersing yourself into the environment through the music and through the physical sensation. Expression, uh, it involves like physical release, 
right? So, you know, like if I open my chest up and do some, some dancing of, of some sort, that, that's a very different ex experience of my body than this. This, you know, or this, right? Like the, the linear kind of prescriptive movements <clears throat> that we do in our job or, or in our routine if we live in flat surfaces all the time uh, and we just walk around in shoes, we're not expressing in the way that a hippie chick who's doing dancing is. Now, I'm not saying you have to go and do hippie dancing, although it would not be a bad thing, right? Because I, I want to, in this video, give you a bunch of suggestions of ways that you can heal. Now, I I'm, I'm, want to be careful about saying exact types of modalities. I will give some examples, but I don't want you to think that there is any therapy or any school of thought or any technique that really is the answer. And that is the, the, a very common human mistake, and it's one that we want we want there to be an answer that is prescriptive. Humans, you know like how people say women, are, women like to follow and men, men like to be leaders? I think that is tripe bullshit. 98% of the human population likes to, be, likes to follow, likes to be told what to do, likes to be led. Like, you know, men are leaders, where? <laughs> you know, I don't see very many male leaders uh, or very many more than there are female leaders, really. Sure, there's, you know, when it comes to the couple, the male-female dynamic, dominant submission within the bedroom, and, and that a woman likes a man who has a plan, right, who can lead her, not, not lead her life necessarily, but, you know, take her through wonderful experiences. But in general, people have a need to be told by somebody, how does this work? What do I do? Why do I, you know, if I feel like this, what's the answer? And so, you know, throughout history, the answer therapeutically was usually through organized religions. Now, I'm not going to go off into a big... Uh, historical tangent today. Am I? Am I? No, I'm not. But you can just think about it in broad terms that an, institution, an institutionalized religion of whatever type does give you a process for healing in some sense, right? Because it, it uh, ceremonializes, if that's a word, creates ceremonies around introspection, right? So prayer. Okay, so I disagree with the way that people pray, pray in religions because they, it ties into an ideology, but whatever. It does give you space to listen, to receive, to relax. If you've ever been, I mean, I don't, I still walk into the churches when I go, you know, in countries and I go in and, and, you, and it's undeniable that there is a, that there is a peace within a, a nice old church. And I would say that's because every person that walked in there, except for the times when, you know, peasants, the Jews ran in there and then the church was burnt down by the Nazis or something like that. But usually when uh, everyone who's gone into a church has gone in, into an introspective space, into a submissive space and submissive in the sense that they are willing to receive as opposed to willing to just say what things are. And it's funny that some intelligent religions have release valves, re release valves say the, the Catholic tradition of, of uh, confession, penance and redemption, is an interesting, I think it's really smart because it's built, it's, it gives you a really rigid ideology that's impossible to live up to, right? You, you, you have a moral code that's impossible to live up to. And then when you break it, which you inevitably, inevitably will, and you feel shame, which they want you to feel shame, you can come and you can purge and heal in some sense. You know, you can just, at least you can say to a priest, all right, here's all the awful shit that I did. And the priest will, in their own way, not judge. They will give you a way to, to um, to vindicate yourself so that you can then finish that shame cycle and come out in some way healed and cleansed. 
So like I understand how those processes worked within like modern religions. And then we, when we look back to more ancient religions, religions, let's say pre-industrial religions or pre-Christianity religions, there were all sorts of processes that were part of the way a tribe would work. And as I talked about last time, I'm not glorifying and saying that everything that happened in tribes was beautiful and wonderful. There was also awful things. But some things that many tribes did well was they understood the human animal needed to purge. Like, for, for example, I know in Peru, when I've, when I've been there and you go and visit little tribes, there are some tribes that get up in the morning and everyone goes and vomits. Right? Everyone. They go, they stick their fingers down the throat and they vomit into the river. Because they're, they're cleansing, they're, they're purging, right? And there's no shame about vomiting. It's just a normal thing you go and throw up. Um, because they know that helps to purge, especially in the, in the jungle where there's a lot of parasites. They do ritualized uh, rituals where, which include stomping, shaking, dancing, moving into trance states. And this is a big, big part of healing, is that we can't really just think through our problems and come to solutions for them. And you know that because you've tried to do it. Now, there are some, yeah, I can, okay, I can think through a mat- mathematical problem or a technical problem or a like, logistical problem. Sure, I can think through those and come up with better and worse ideas and come up with a plan. But when I have a deep sense of like, I don't feel good about myself in some way or I feel sad or I feel broken, I can't think my way out of that. And you know, you, you know that, you've tried. You've looped around your head over and what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? How can I do this? I should do this. Uh, that person did this to me. I did that. Uh, you know, I should have done this. All of this, this talking to myself that doesn't actually heal me at all. There is, some, there is definitely some value in just bleh, spitting it out. And that was something, and just so you know, the way I do my talks, in case you've never seen a James Marshall video before, is that I'm going to jump between 19 topics and hopefully tie them up together. But what I'm starting to look at is different ways that we can be therapeutic to ourselves and how we can ask for help to bring others to heal. My first premise being that you, you don't have to heal, you can just be crippled, but your life will be way worse. It's not tough, you're not a martyr, you don't get anything out of it, it's not better, it's not honorable to be a martyr to your own pain. I know that, I've, I've, been, I've rolled around in my own pain at points in my life and, the, and for whatever benefits I got out of it from, you know, I don't know, thinking weird thoughts or coming up with some strange plans or something, writing a song, uh, it wasn't worth it because the pain was way more intense than what I got out of it. So if you're living in pain, then and you need to understand you don't need to, right? Human life includes pain, but if we learn ways to regularly process it, then it will be much less painful. And just as I was saying in my last video, it means that you will get to experience more of the bittersweet uh, mixed juice that is life, right? With all of, its, all of its ingredients, sorrowful and joyful, I think it's better to experience all of those than it is to reach some numb bandwidth in the middle where you don't really get peaks and troughs, you don't really get the intensity of life, and you don't really feel the, the pain of it either, Personally, I would rather feel the pain and then get to experience all of it. And I would, you know, most people would, I would think, if you, if you had a taste of what that's like. A lot of people don't even know. They have lived in numbness in some form or another their entire lives. I would ask you to start living in more, tr- in more conscious trance states as opposed to numbness. And they can be similar in a way. Like, if I'm very numb and distracted through whatever, TV, alcohol, you know, porn just distraction and being physically very unaware of myself, 
uh, slouching, you know, slouching in a couch for hours on end or whatever. This, um, this creates a certain trance state in a way. And what is a trance state? A trance state is one where we are immersed in the, in the moment and it's, and it's a full physical experience. Yeah, so you would say, okay, if I'm making love to somebody and I'm really into them and we're really in love or something, that we're in a trance state because nothing else matters. Probably our brain waves are working differently. Our brains are working differently than they are. Uh, usually, your fingertips are tingling. You're, you're, you, know, you can hear your own breath. You're there, and, you, and, you, and it alters your state of consciousness of, you know, if you take drugs or have great sex or go skydiving or just sit there and look at a beautiful sunset and just like allow it to just go, uh, whoa, you know, that kind of thing, it will settle you into some form of trance. And this tends to be where we can start to deal with our subconscious better. This, this, this surface level logical mind, as I said, we can't think our way through our childhood issues or our pain about our sense of worthiness or our father or whatever the things are. We can think about them and we can, and we can create a narrative, and sometimes that is important, uh, but it is not really the therapy itself. And so, a little aside here: when looking at do I need to get a therapist, uh, I'm not saying you necessarily do. As I said, there are people who learn how to process life just by living in a therapeutic way. There are also some people who are just not traumatized as much or or at all by certain things that other people are traumatized by. And and when you're a six-year-old kid. You don't really, you can't really tell how good or bad this is on the scale of everything and decide is this a traumatic event. I remember one traumatic event I had was my mother sent me into the library once when I was, I don't know, eight or nine or something and said, just go and tell the lady, can I have my card? And I walked in and I went up to the lady and I said, can I have my card? And she went, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know, can I have my card? Because I didn't know what she meant. My mom just said, asked, she gave no other instructions. And the lady said, that doesn't mean anything. And then I went, uh, and I ran out. And I didn't go to that library again for years. And I hated, you know, I was just like, when I thought of libraries, I, I felt bad about myself. That was a traumatic event because some, you know, middle-aged lady behind the desk was like, what? What are you talking about, kid? And it deeply offended and, and made me feel very foolish. And I didn't know what she meant. I don't know what a card is. And then I came back to my mom like, she just said that. I just, you know, I was angry at my mom or whatever. Like, why do I remember that? That was one thing that happened once when I was eight. And I remember it having a deep effect on me and it affected me for some time later. That's not rational. That's not like I, I should have gone, well, you didn't get beaten as a child. So, okay, that was traumatic for me. Okay, I processed that particular one, but there's... As, as young children, we're not able to, to rationally itemize things and figure out what does and doesn't matter. We just experience, and we experience like a sponge from all of our inputs, right? from our physical body, from what we hear people saying, from the, the emotions that are projected towards us, and from our physical environment, from the food that we're eating, which is the, what we put in our body massively affects our moods, for sure. And so we don't know, and so we get damaged by whatever it is. It was hardcore trauma, it was a seemingly nothing trauma, but whatever it was, it it caused this, this ripple effect. And then over years and years and years, we find ways to walk wounded. We find ways to compartmentalize. And then often we find ways to suppress. And so maybe these things only come out in dreams or when you're in a very angry or sad state or under therapeutic situations. So if you know that you're someone who doesn't just naturally process things by dancing in the fields and you know going to nudist colonies and just picking flowers or whatever some people do, 
then you will need to uh, first recognize that there is issues that you have that should be f solved, not because you're weak, but because you want to be more than just a walking wounded droid. You want to be someone that gets to experience love and joy inside this life experience, that you want to enjoy as much of it as you can. All life is suffering, said the Buddha, uh, but as I said in the previous video, it's not all minutes of all life is suffering. Uh, it's, and it's more like it's the interpretation of suffering that really hurts. Now, of course, if I chop my arm off, there will be a very objective pain, right? I can't like go, wow, man, what does that even mean? All right, there'll be a very high level of pain. But if I take it back from something very, very extreme, uh, and like I remember when I was with Ido Portal and just training in his class, like a grunt, I was just a normal dude in the class. And I remember we were doing something very fucking difficult because everything he makes you do is very difficult, mentally, physically, emotionally, because you're just frustrated and you're annoyed and you can't do it and it makes no sense. And he just goes, and you're like, whoa, how did he do that? Anyway, what, what, he, what he said to us was, because whenever, you know, you're practicing a new thing, you know this, right? So let's make your, your gym teacher is trying to teach you a new movement or some new skill and you're doing it and you're finding it and you reach your frustration point and then you go like this. Right, so you're doing this movement and you're like, this, that look of, ah, this is hard and I'm finding it hard. And Ido said, like he walked past me and I guess I did that and some other people, and he said, when you feel a painful situation, you are frustrated, don't do this face. Just don't do it. And I, and I was like, what do you mean don't do it? And I, and I didn't say it. I was just like, what does he mean don't do it? And I, went, and I just thought, he literally means just don't do that face. And so like I'm doing the exercise and I, and I reach the point where it's like, ah, this is hard and frustrating. And I find my mouth, my face, I want to go. And then I just went, I just let it drop. And then I just continue with the movement. And it was a fucking revelation because he was so right. Because the only thing that made that movement hard, because it wasn't, he wasn't asking us to lift 200 kilos or something that was physically impossible. It was a complicated set of body mechanics for someone who doesn't, who's not practiced at it, but it was solvable. And this didn't help. This was just me trying to tell the teacher, I find this hard or I'm really working hard. That's really what I'm, it's an ego thing really. Because if he wasn't there in the room, I might not, I probably wouldn't do that. I'd just be like doing the thing, right? But it was definitely a call. It was me and the other people going, Ido, please look at me. You're making me do a hard thing and I'm trying to do it and it's hard and I need your validation or something like that, right? And, and it was just the very action of just like not adding an extra layer of pain to what was objectively a bit painful, but it was the, uh, yeah, that's what made it very painful. That's what made that exercise suffering, as opposed to enjoying sweating and learning something physical, right? So there are many ways that you can reframe and change the way that you interact with the world uh, and with traumatic events. And there are many technologies that you can utilize in order to process them. That, and that doesn't mean curing them all forever. And that's something that took me ages to figure out because, you know, I've been doing healing work on myself since I was 18. I've been going to meditation retreats. I've been going to teachers. I've gone, I've seen therapists. I've gone to many, 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 like, I don't know, 30 or 40 ayahuasca ceremonies. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've gone to hippie dance festivals. I've been in BDSM scenes. I've gone and spoken to amazing masters and I've talked to wise people and I've shared things with my friends and I've had long talks into the night with lovers. You know, I've been healing and processing all my life. 
and I and I had this thought when I was at an, an ayahuasca ceremony a while ago, and the, and the shaman, who's a girl that I've, a lady, isn't that terrible that I still call all women girls? Like she's 32, she's a fucking witch of power, absolute power. I'm like girls, this woman, woman, she said something about you know, and we've got her, something about our healing, and it just she just said something you know like we need to we need to process and heal our stuff and i thought what is she still healing and processing like i've done 30 of these sessions over you know many different dieters or retreats she's done hundreds of them literally she's she's gone through tripping ceremonies hundreds of times and i'm like does she still need to cure to healing when do we stop healing for fuck's sake is this what we do as hippies you just spend your entire life healing and you and like one day when you're 60 you can finally come to terms with your childhood <laughs> um and of course it, you can get into you can certainly get into a um an addiction or or just a repetition of going from next workshop or next healing thing to the next i, I used to see that with people when i was going to a lot of different workshops uh, that there were people who, they were junkies of new technologies, right? They wanted to learn a new technique, they got excited about it, and then they dropped it and moved on to the next thing. So yes, you can just, you can live a self-indulgent life just kind of dabbling in all sorts of healing things and not really, you know, still not really live a very effective life or make that just too much of your life, right? Like where everything has to be healed all the time and, uh, you know, you can't, walk next, walk past someone who was smoking a cigarette or anything else without going, oh no, I need to go and purge and heal for a month. So we don't want to be that, but we don't want to be the guy that never looks at this stuff. So before I get into some specific modalities or techniques that you can use to heal yourself, I want you to think about what is the broader context. Right, what is the presuppositions that you come into your healing work with? Because if we use our gym example, if the presuppositions about why you go to the gym are extremely negative, such as, I'm going to the gym because I'm a weak loser piece of shit that's getting fat and I just got to get my shit together. And so like, I'm motivated then to go to the gym out of this like, okay, I bet I really have to, like I just have to use willpower and this kind of shitty coaching where I'm like, you are, you suck, you're weak, you're, you're a loser, you're unattractive, you better go to the gym or it's all over. So it's, a, it's an away from pain motivation. And that is probably usually why people who are not good at just seeking help when they need it or not good at just processing and purging uh, life as it comes, comes at them. This is often, so for people that are not good at that, they will often wait until the point when they are at this most low point before they make action, right? So that's the, I'm totally broke, so I better find out a way to make some money. I, uh, you know, I've got no women in my life and I haven't had them there for months and months, so I fucking better learn how to approach girls, right? That's it, enough of this, all right, time to get moving. Now, that's not a bad motivation to get started. And it is, it is good to be honest with yourself and to just be like, dude, look, look at yourself in the mirror. You've let yourself go. Or let, when was the last time I got laid? It was a year ago. Or this is the reality of my bank account. This is how much is coming in next week. This is how much I spend. Those are numbers don't work very well. Okay, so we do need to be honest and, and give yourself a bit of kick up the ass and go, come on, fucking dude, let's get this shit together. Right, so the away from pain motivation, sure, it can get you started but it doesn't keep people going. Like Olympic level any, anybody's, people who are pa amazing artists, 
uh, you know, grand achievers didn't get there by running away from pain, usually, I would say, right? Like once you get past away from enough pain, you need a new motivator to lead you forward towards pleasure or towards wholeness or towards uh, self-expression or, or towards something bigger, right? So you need a presupposition that, or a context that is overall positive, right? So if we look at the therapy, why would I go and see a therapist or why would I go and seek therapeutic tools? If it's just like, oh, I don't know, because what else, you know, I guess I'm ready to just fucking lie on a couch and go, all right, doc, fix me because I'm, I've given up, right? I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at my wits end and I suck. And I guess I sh rather than kill myself, I should talk to somebody. Okay. And that's, if that is the, and if that's the motivation that gets you into seeking some kind of therapy, fine. Like better that you get there than that you don't, I would say, if you need it. So, okay, that, that may be going on in your head. And I know for myself, I resisted therapies at various points in my life because I was like, fucking why bother? Like, I don't want to have to lie there or talk to someone who's going to be like positive and go, oh, come on, let's think of it. I'm like, fuck you, dude. I don't want to think about life in those ways. I'm not open to that right now. Right? And uh, that's also okay. It's also okay to notice that. But if you stop there and you never get past the I don't need this or therapies for other for for other people who can't sort their life out or uh, I'll do that one day when I really need it or I'll try I'll fix myself with this uh, other this new job you know any of these other things that means you don't actually seek therapy well I would I would dissect and dissolve that voice because it's holding you back from experiencing joy and life and love and light and all those other nice things so much better to have a context of something like this which is I want to be whole I want to uh, be kind to the to the young part of myself that was hurt and did the best that it could with what it had at the time and that is your old you I get this with guys coming to me and they say I want to crush you know I've got to totally crush my old self you know the guy that had approach anxiety the guy that was scared of women the guy that was quiet and introverted. I've got to crush that guy and I need to rebuild myself as this uber, social, positive, sexy, seductive guy. That's you know, a common thing I hear from guys in one way or another. And I say, I don't think that's a good way to look at it because what you're doing is you're going to war against your own old self or your own self now. You're like, I hate that old me. That old me was weak and childish and uh, unconfident and needy and a nice guy and didn't get what he wants and all this stuff, right? I don't like that me. I want a new, better, stronger, alpha, alpha me, more alpha. <laughs> now you can transition between those two people and they can look like those two things, but I don't need to crush one in order to evolve into the other. You did the best that you could with what you had at the time is the overall truth, especially when you're a child. What else, what else could you have done? Yeah, like I, I, I've been talking to a therapist recently. I told him about some event as a child that, that was an adult type of event that, that I had to experience as a child. And, you know, I was kind of explaining it to him and rationalizing about, oh, you know, but it, it wasn't really my mother's fault because this and this and this. And he said, hey, listen, listen to what you're saying. The seven-year-old you had to deal with this thing Right? And now the 40-year-old the, the you is looking back and saying, okay, you know, it wasn't such a big deal and I understand why it happened like that. But that doesn't mean that the 7-year-old you didn't experience that 
as a horrible thing, as a traumatic thing. And it didn't have any better or bigger context to plug that into, except to perceive it as that I wasn't loved or I, I, you know, I'm being threatened or, or whatever. And so it is, uh, it is very useful to be able to create a broader context that allows a healing throughout your life, like through, your t- through the timeline of your life. Right? So I mean, that you, a way that you can go back in some ways to earlier parts of yourself or earlier uh, versions of yourself and give them love, give them understanding, uh, be, be kind to them. Help, them, help them to unravel what they couldn't unravel at the time because they were young and inexperienced and, and just a child. And that can actually be done. It sounds trippy, but in various trance states, so being hypnotized, uh, and there's, there's various ways, there's lots of ways to go into trance. You can put yourself into trance by looking at a sunset, by you know, immersing yourself in something, by lying in a float tank, by having cosmic sex, you know, by meditating, lots of ways. Or a therapist, a skilled therapist, can lead you into a trance state guide you in there by guiding your breath, your imagination, your physical sensations, for example. And then through asking you good, clean questioning and directing without trying to influence you back to a state, a time in your story. And maybe you need to do that. You know, maybe you need to go back to the nine-year-old you when that thing happened and go into that space of what it felt like to be 15 or nine or 20 or whatever it was and have these experiences and then reinterpret them, remap them, right? Because if I would go back to the kid in the library, what would I say to him? You know, I would say, hey, dude, don't even worry about it. She's just a grumpy bitch. Who gives, doesn't, whatever the card system is here, it doesn't fucking matter because pretty soon it's all going to be on computers anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, she's just, she's been nasty. Let's just not, don't, you don't need to worry about people like that. When people talk to you like that, that's their problem, not yours. Right? Like if I, if, if, if someone if had told me that right then and there, uh, I don't think, I don't know, my, my, maybe my mother said, oh, don't worry about it. Whatever it was, if I could, could communicate that well to that part of myself, then I could let go of that fear, you know, that, that, that really affected me at that age. And, and maybe, if not that one, definitely some other ones that riddled through my life and controlled me in some sense or rode me or with there, those bigger traumas, okay, maybe not the library one, but other ones, those things have influenced the way that I am. Those influence my stress levels. They influence my joy levels, right? And they're things that I need to purge and move through me if I want to continue to live more or less a happy life. And that's, I would say, what you would need to do as well. So here are some of the ways that I've personally found to be very beneficial from a therapeutic position. And I've also uh, worked with lots of clients and I've given these techniques to clients. I've led them through and I've gone and sought out various teachers and and healers in my own life as well. I don't want to necessarily advocate one school over the other. Like if you're going to get therapy where you go and talk to someone, there is a lot of different types of therapy and very different schools of thought. And some of them I don't think are very good. Uh, Many therapists are not very good. Like, Like... just like dating coach, especially unregulated industries like life coaching, right? There is no life coaching standard. There is no dating coaching standard at all on the planet. So literally anyone, you right now, 
set up a YouTube channel and say, hi, I'm a life coach. I charge a thousand bucks an hour. And if someone pays you, then you're a thousand dollar an hour life coach can be done. Now, obviously, if you're a psychologist or a psychiatrist or various types of counselors and various therapists, then you do need accreditation. But that still doesn't mean you're going to be good. Being a good coach and a good therapist is not an easy task, and most people are not suited to it. It requires you not only to be empathetic and to be able to listen and read people very well, but it requires you to be able to see through their bullshit and call them out on that as well. So I remember like school counselors, I went to one when I was 16 or something, and it was just like some dude with a long scarf, and, he, and he, I, all I remember him doing was this, hmm, <laughs> like literally that. Whatever it was I said, I can't remember. Oh, blah, 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 that's my problem. That's all I remember him doing was a hmm. So it didn't help me very much. Um, so I would be ready to dump your therapist like you dump a Tinder, Tinder date, <laughs> literally. Go, like, go, if you want to go and seek out a therapist, you may, it may take six to find them. And that's where finding them by referral, finding someone who, who says, yeah, this person really helped me, although they may not be able to help you because their characters are, are different. But okay, a personal referral is useful. Um, but if you go and you see the person is not listening, not asking good probing questions, not directing you somewhere, right? So if I only ask you to tell me, my, tell me your story, that will be useful for the storyteller in some sense. And it is a good thing to just ha- say your story. I, I fought that for years because I was a Buddhist and I did meditation, which I think is another very amazing therapeutic tool. But the thing with meditation is, depends on the type, but if we're using, let's say, Vipassana, the action is to observe and not to interfere at all. That is all. Observe and don't get involved. Right? There's a way to do that, a technique to do that, but that is the, the core of it. Why do we do that? We do that because we don't project things onto reality. Right? We get to step back and observe reality more or less objectively or, or more objectively than we do when we put many layers of meaning upon something. So if I sit in silence and I watch my breath or I watch my body, uh, I will start to learn a lot about myself and I will start to heal in some ways automatically. Automatically, I will start to drop stress, right? If I go into a meditation session like this, and like, oh, I had a stressful day, I sit down, I'm, like, oh, I'm meditating, I'm fucking... My life is better right now. Those five seconds of me going, ah, what am I doing? Oh yeah, I'm getting aware of my body, I'm loosening, I'm dropping tension, and I'm starting to observe myself. Just doing that on camera for five seconds, I already feel a bit better. I already feel a little bit more clear because it just gives me that little window of shut up. Just shut the fuck up, you. And just, and you don't have to force the thoughts away. You just, thoughts do what they're doing, but you create space. And within space, automatic processes that know how to unwind and unravel and relax will, will have a chance to relax. When you lie down and you finally fall asleep, you don't need to remind your body to keep sleeping and you know, wake up every hour and go, oh, you're still sleeping? <laughs> it's like, okay, when, when, when you switch off certain things, other automatic processes will take over that are positive. They're, des- they're built into you to design, to break down waste and toxins and rebuild cells and all the good stuff that, that humans do. So meditation is a form of, let's say, pure observation if it's done purely. And that yields a lot of benefits. And, but I, it's not the only thing. Because I was stuck in that for years, because I thought Buddhism is a complete system. My, my aim in life is to be enlightened, not happy, not fulfilled, not successful, but enlightened. I wanted, at the age of 20-something, which is a bit weird, I wanted to be free of all human ex- 
suffering, all attachments. And so that's what I was working on. So when someone would talk about a therapist, I looked down on that extremely hard, right? I was like, you're going to what? You're going to lie there, talk about your life, which is only a construct. You're going to talk about this narrative, which is just your perception of the narrative. You're going to just create, then you're going to create a map of meaning about why you fucked up. You're going to place blame to your parents. And, you know, then you're going to spend the rest of your life with this complex story about why you are the way you are. And that gives you an excuse to be complex and to be fucked up. Uh, And then you're going to spend, you know, 200 bucks a week going and whinging to someone because no one else is willing to listen to you talk. That's the way I thought about it. Until pretty recently, (laughs) to be honest. Um, And and, and as I said before, you can be self-indulgent. And there are plenty of people to whom that is what therapy is. It becomes a recreation of self-indulgence, narcissism, and whinging. So sure, don't go that far. But the other side of it that I never, I never need to speak about things because I can work them out. I can process them in other ways. I think is actually uh, short-sighted. Now, not all the time, but when I feel like there's something I want to say, right? there's something inside me, and it might be a complaint, it might be a, a rage, it might be a, uh, just a ramble, uh, it might be some crazy idea. It might be something I need to say to somebody because I have unresolved feelings for them or, or, or we have a conflict that's not resolved and so on. <clears throat> and if I don't speak it, it stays in my... It stay, I do. I keep speaking it to myself over and over and over again in my head. I keep having that argument with that person. I keep on c- complaining about something. I can keep on blaming somebody. I keep on uh, you know, reinforcing my old story. Journaling it, writing it down, blurting it out to someone who will listen, even someone who will go, Hmm. <laughs> is worth something, right? But, not, but it's not worth that much. I would say that the thing that makes that talking then move into real therapeutics is when you are with a good therapist who understands that, okay, I need the context of what the person's life is and the, peop- and the person needs to tell me because they, they, they need their life to mean something and they want to explain it a bit. That's fine, you know, if I need to say, okay, here's my, here's my friends, here's my lovers, this is what I did, this is how things led to that, that's what happened in my childhood... And these things are all relevant, okay. A good therapist will be able to see when you're just getting lost in the story and getting self-indulgent, and they'll direct your imagination or your focus or your breathing uh, back to something that they, they perceive is, okay, this is a sore point, or this is an area that needs to be lanced, or this is something that needs to be investigated. So a good therapist will use tools, and, they, and I won't get into the specific tools because that's a whole other video if we want to get that granular, but that's part of your experimentation. Research five types of talk therapy. Pros and cons. Freudian one, do you want? Do you like psychoanalysis? Personally, I don't because I think it's too tied up with symbols and, and sex, and I've got enough of that in my life as, as it is. Uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or, or shock therapy or all sorts of ways that, that people will do this. But the overall characteristics of a good therapist would be someone who asks good, clean questions, listens carefully, and you know they're listening because they tell you back what they hear. What I'm hearing you say is, is what a good therapist should say. I'm hearing you say that this is, this is, this. They won't say, oh, okay, I get it. That means that and that and that. For their own ego, they're like, oh, I've diagnosed you and you're done. Say 12 rosaries. Oh, no, that's the priest. Uh, Take these pills and see you in a week. Um, That's probably not so good. But if they're able to draw you into a a place in your story, they're able to ch- adjust and change your physiology and your and put you into an altered state, which is a trance state. It might be like a whole hypnotism thing, or it might just be more like, so imagine, tell me how that felt. Imagine what it was like when you were at that stage. 
What did it feel? Where can you feel that in your body when you remember that? Right? So these are, these are ways of starting to link up the memory, the emotion, the physicality, and then in putting you into a trance state, then we can start to use corrective procedures, whether that is some kind of breathing, purgative breathing, like a holotropic breath work with hyperventilation, for example, or whether that's alignment, like helping you to align your spine, uh, your organ systems, your energy systems, whether it's just allowing you to breathe into the space where you feel the pain, because that that's, can be a really common thing. You know, you feel it once you dissolve the outer layer of numbness using, using awareness, vipassana or meditation of some sort, and then you go back in, you feel more. Right? Now you have more senses, and now there's a pain. There's a pain in my heart or, or a pain in my gut. It might re- not register as exactly pain, but it might be st- heaviness or numbness, like denseness or heat or cold, or like there might be all sorts of ways that it represents. But then we can start to go into that. We might just have to breathe into that, to, to draw light in, love into it, to, you know, say words like I forgive you or I love you or, uh, you know, these, these, these invocations of healing. You know, I want to release this. I let go. You know, I don't need to hold this anymore. Or I, or I, t- or I command you to put this down, you know, to, you, to your mother or whatever. Right? These... This is when this becomes therapeutic. And, and in a way, what we start to combine is speaking therapies or questioning or conversational therapies, therapies <clears throat> with meditation states, then and also blended with more intense trance states. Now we're in the subconscious. Now we're in the deeper emotional layers, not just in the cogni- cognition thought layers. So now we're starting to tinker under the hood. Now we're starting to you know, create uh, a purge or a healing or just being heard just being able to say, you did this to me, even if I can't say it to the person. You know, I've, my therapist has said to me before, I don't care if you sit here for an hour and say nothing. I don't care if you shout at me for an hour, right? Like whatever you need to do to, to purge or, to, or, or, or not on, the, on a given situation, I will be here to hold space for you. That is what a great therapist does. They don't project their own shit onto you. They don't make assumptions and quick judgments. They gradually draw things out and then hold a space and give you tools to then work through that. Another incredible modality for healing and self-expression and purging is the use of shamanic ceremonies and using specifically plant medicines. So there are, there are lots of like ancient traditions, let's say predating modern religions, that had a lot of purging ceremonies that I spoke of before, shaking and dancing and getting into trances and, you know, hanging yourself from hooks and uh, like all sorts of or going on vision quests where you don't eat for three, a week and you sit out in a stone circle and wait for the great spirit to come to you and so on. There's lots of different traditions. And I think there's a lot of value in many of these. They, they give people an archetypal experience of being like part of a myth in, a, in some ways. And humans love myth. They, they love the, the sense of a grand story. And they, they love this, the idea of evolving through a novice, acolyte, warrior, king, wise man. You know, that, that is a story that resonates with humanity in general. Not that everyone takes that journey, but people are attracted to it at least. And I know for myself, like I did lots of meditation for many years and often very intense, like 10 day, 10 hour a day times 10 retreats. I did those every year. Uh, But I don't know, about eight years ago or something, I started getting into 
plant medicine ceremonies. So with Peruvian traditions, and this was drinking ayahuasca so, and San Pedro. So these are extremely highly psychedelic plants. So they make you trip hard, but they're very different than recreational drugs, right? So unlike taking a tab of acid even, which is, you know, similar area, but it's very chemically based. Uh, unlike taking MDMA or ketamine or cocaine or something, which are these stimulant party drugs, which you feel awful afterwards, depending on how old you are. Um, when you take ceremonial psychedelics in, a, in the correct set and setting, so whenever you take uh, drugs, the effect of what they do on you will be one thing, but who you're hanging out with, what, if, I'm, if I'm sitting in nature with you know, my best friend and I take some mushrooms towards sunset, I'll, that's good set and setting. Right? Good set means good mood, the setting, the environment's good. If you know, I've never taken drugs before I'm, and I'm at this weird party that I don't really know anyone and someone goes, hey man, take this, take this, and then I can't leave for six hours because my ride doesn't go and I'm feeling really paranoid and the drugs hit me, Bad set, bad setting. And I don't really know anyone. Bad set, bad setting. So just taking psychedelics is not the answer. You, you can do your own experimentation. I did a lot back in the day, and then I had some good times and some bad times. But doing it in a, in a traditional sense where you have a shaman, and whether or not you believe they're kind of magical beings that can communicate with the spirit world doesn't really matter. It more matters that they, are, that they know how this works. They know what it's like when people trip. They can, they, they've tripped so many hundreds of times in that context that, it's, that they can just operate normally. Right? They can get up and go and you know, help someone or like take a bucket of spew and throw it out if they need to. <laughs> I can do that now. I'm at the point where I can trip hard and still like go and like keep the fire burning and like, oh, someone needs help over there. I can still do that now. I'm still a bit wonky, but I can do it. Um, but those, those people hold a container for you to go through that therapeutic process. And so when you ingest these, these strong psychedelics, which have purgative effects, ayahuasca literally makes you vomit. And Westerns, Westerners are very scared of vomiting. And I used to be too, but it's, it's actually, I can't really, you won't believe me until you do it, but it's like, it's actually a very pleasurable vomit. It feels like you're, you're jizzing out the bad stuff in your life. Right? You're just like, get the fuck out. Oh. <laughs> it's like that. No, but it had, an ayahuasca puke has this sound. It goes like this. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Um, and it makes you shit. It makes you sweat. It makes you shake. Like, like when, I, when I'm in ayahuasca, I've had this many times where I get these tremors up my spine and they fucking, I love them. Because it feels like it just goes like once and then they start hitting me. And it's just like this, my body's doing these little chiropractics on me. It just goes and just, and I, my bones start cracking and it, I just readjust, right? It's, it's quite startling because, and it's not, I'm not controlling it, right? Like I'm there and it's just involuntarily happening, but I can feel all this stuff coming out in twitches and shakes because all the tension that I've held, chronically held, we all have some better, I mean, even though I've got great posture, I'm very self-aware of my body. I still hold heaps of tension in my neck, neck and shoulders. I still spend quite a lot of time sitting over computers and sitting in bad postures. Um, I still feel stress. Something's happening. Yesterday, we had a delivery of six 300-year-old trees from Spain, and we had to like coordinate getting them in the ground. And I was running around. At the end of the day, I was like there. I'm like, well, I'm stressed. Like Physically, I've created stress because I was wired today running around doing stuff, and, and uh, there was a time limit, and I had to get it right and whatever. And then... Uh, 
And so, you know, what do I do? I then go and I have a stretch. I, I go back to, okay, I'm going to release this tension. There was physical tension, really. I wasn't like, I was not in turmoil, but I was like, oh, I'm in a, I'm a frazzled state. And so I stretch it out, breathe it out, sit by the fire, pat the cat. Those are four therapeutic things. And then I feel fine, right? I've, I've processed that. If you're going to the office every day, every week, doing your thing, and that stress accumulates and builds and builds and builds, and you don't have ways to every single day shake it out, then it causes you long-term chronic damage. So when you're doing the ceremonies, the body just takes over and starts to purge. Sweat, vomit, shit, and don't worry. Everyone's like worried, but what do I shit my pants? No, you, you have a sense. You've got about 60 seconds. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know. Ooh. oh, I understand. And then you go off and you have this shit where you're like, oh, and afterwards you're a different person. <laughs> so I do recommend this kind of work, but not for everyone all the time, right? Like if you have, if you're mentally unstable, if you're very depressed, if you're on any medications, uh, you know, you're, you're like, come just come out of a psych ward or something like don't go and do ayahuasca it's a hardcore trip right it can be very overwhelming for some people i haven't had this experience but some people it can be extremely terrifying i've seen people go through nights which look like they were not fun to have i once watched sasha day game screaming howling shitting himself and vomiting all over himself for eight hours and he's so he was so big and like flopping around i couldn't do anything about it uh, anyway, he's fine. You know, he got, he got over it <laughs> because sometimes there's just dark stuff inside you and, it, and it's been repressed in certain ways and it just has to come out in a nasty way or it's just, that's just your, your constitution. People respond differently. So I think there is a lot of merit in this kind of work when you are ready for it and ready doesn't mean you have to have meditated for 30 years. It just means, all right, I feel pretty stable at the moment. I've, I've got a good link, a good connection and you need to, you know, know someone that you trust okay you've heard through the grapevine that this is a good center to go to or you've come and done it at the warrior workshop with me because we specifically designed uh, a workshop so that guys that would never come in contact with this stuff because they don't go tra traipsing around india and peru um and if they did they might find the wrong person we've put it together that we're like cool done for you shamanic experience with kick-ass shaman a bunch of very experienced trippers that are fun to trip with uh, and a ceremonial context, which is not religious, but helps you to move through an archetypal healing process. You can find people yourself, for sure. I'm not the only person in the world that can then give you access to a great shaman, uh, but to find one can can take a little bit. Definitely worth it, though. Like uh, I, the last warrior workshop that we did here, we had 12 guys. All I would say, no, there was maybe three guys that had done some of that stuff before. But most of them were engineers, accountants, finance guys, doctors, lawyers, um, scientists. That's mostly our demographic. Guys who had white-collar jobs, normal lives, and they came to this farm, and then part of it was like, all right, dudes, here, we didn't just spring on them. That They had lots of uh, preparation for it, but like, okay, now we are going to go through something you've never been through before, and it's going to be, it's going to confront you. Uh, but watching those guys that night, because uh, I was, I was the fire keeper, so my job was to keep the fire going all night, which is weird when like, oh, fire. Uh, but I did. So I'm, you know, I'm observing and keeping kind of holding, helping to hold space with the shaman. And I saw so much of those men in their faces that night. It was, it's so trippy because you're tripping as well. But like seeing a guy, I remember one client who he'd said, 
someone, a girl asked him, when was the last time you smiled or you laughed? Jacob, let's say his name was. And he said, maybe childhood. He wasn't even sure if it was in childhood. And that night, I remember he was sitting across from me in the fire and he, he, he was lying down for a while. And then he suddenly sat up and he's, it was like he was, he's, he was grinning so wide that I, my cheeks were hurting, right? He was just so happy. And then he started to laugh, right? And he laughed for 20 minutes and then he just kept grinning and grinning and grinning. And eventually um, he came over, he like crawled over to the shaman. He said, what should I do now? And the, and the shaman said, close your eyes, go inside. And he's like, whoa. And he crawls back and he closes his eyes. And then the smile settled down to this just lovely smile. And he stayed there all night. It was really touching. Um, and we talked about it the next day, like that's the first time that, that the mechanics or the kind of pathways to joy were activated in that man in his own entire fucking life, right? He's an extreme case, very tough, very austere. But that uh, plant mixed with the ceremonial space, mixed with the brotherhood around him, mixed with the, everything leading up to him, allowed the pathway for joy to be wired. And he kept it afterwards. Right? It wasn't just that he went and tripping one night and took drugs and then he was like, oh, I feel shit the next day. He had that pathway of, of understanding, oh, that's what it feels like to open my chest and like to fucking let the smile out and to laugh for no, no reason. Oh, that's what it is. Now I, now I have a reference for that. Now I can, you know, I can do that in, in, in my life. So in conclusion, yes, psychedelics and also I've heard MDMA can be really good uh, done in therapeutic situations. They, they do that with war veterans now and... and and there was a lot of experimentation with DMT and LSD in the 60s before it was shut down by the FDA, uh, by the, the American government. But um, you can find those things if you want to. There, there is, it's much easier than it ever was to find a good quality shaman or practitioner who can give you substances that will help therapeutically if done in the right way. Not for everyone. I'm not saying everyone should do it. I know some people are like, oh, I don't want to do drugs and I'm not here to try and convince you that they're not drugs or that they're better drugs. They are. Uh, it's just like, cool, do, do or don't do what, do what you will with that, but it's certainly helped me a lot. Very briefly, because I'm going to wrap up soon because it's getting dark, but very briefly, a number of other areas that you can look at. So we've talked about meditation, awesome. We've talked about talk therapies or therapies with a, with a proper therapist, uh, and we've talked about the use of trance states through psychedelics. Um, other areas that we can look at is I, I would say that there's all sorts of other correlating daily or, or not if, if not daily, often practices that you can do that will just assist you. One of them is having a great, is having a movement practice. And I don't just mean a linear gym practice. That is fine. It does what it does. It makes your muscles bigger, fine. But when I'm talking about a movement practice, I'm talking about something that includes fluidity, rotations, uh, internal awareness, stretch and flexibility, and nonlinear strength. So that would be types of physical expression that, that allow you to actually express. There is no physical expression here. There is no improvisation, right? This, this is the same movement done by either, everyone exactly the same because it's the, if it's the right one, it's the most effective way to make that muscle bigger. That's all it's for right? Understand that. In terms of what the, the human body can do and its function, it's like it's taking the tiniest isolated piece and just focusing in on that. It ignores your flexibility, your strength, your rotations, the, the way the whole chain of movement connects together, 
the way your emotions are involved with that, the way your internal organs are involved with that, how your spine operates, your hip flexibility, none of that's in this. Nothing. All is, it's just bicep under, under weight. That's all. Someone will be writing, oh no, actually, James, I think you'll find that a bicep curl has six different functions. I don't care. Whatever it is, it's not many. Um, whereas if I learn Ido Portel style movement, swimming dragon, tai chi, uh, ancestral movements, crawls, rolling, uh, dance forms that are improvisational, or, or if, yeah, so, you know, salsa I would include in that, correct? Because there's, you, you learn a bunch of moves, there's a technical move to do da, 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 that move, and then, once you get good at that, then you can start improvising and getting more flow and putting your own self-expression into it and it becomes yours, right? So, I would certainly include that as well as contact dance forms, uh, but, yeah, particularly the movement culture stuff, I know I bang on about this so much, but, but that's because it's so fucking good. <clears throat> Ido Portel, uh, Fighting Monkey Group, or any one of their acolytes around the world, I don't get any money from that. They don't even know who I am. You know, they know I'm just another dude in the class, but I, I've seen the effect that it's had on my life. And the way that I now move, maybe you can even chart it. If you look at my videos five years ago, I bet I move differently than I do today. Uh, but because the process of, of being able to move inside this physical structure on all planes, to be loose, to be relaxed, to be strong, but not strong in the, that way, like that is functionalist. It doesn't give you any function really, except to, you know, if someone hands you something, can you hold this and lift it up like that for me? I'm like, <laughs> actually, I believe I can way better than you. Like, God damn, that guy can do that better than anyone else. Like it's, I would say it's such an inefficient use of your time if you don't have much time to spend on your body. Just my opinion. But having, having a movement uh, practice, and you know what also is a movement practice? Walking with bare feet on grass. Because that is actually extremely complex. Because you know, you, all these proprioceptors, the way your body has to work, it's about like walking through a forest and then walking uh, along a stream uh, over some rocks or walking on the beach and then climbing on some rocks, that is a fucking beautiful movement practice, right? And that also ties into another one of the therapeutics, which is nature immersion. If you're in an apartment right now, how badly do you wish you were here right now? Because I don't wish I was in an apartment right now. <laughs> the fact that I get to every day just live in nature, this has changed me so much compared to a year ago when I was in, uh, and I, I could feel that. When I come back in from the city, I'm like moving three times faster than Augusto, right? I come back in, I'm like, oh, hi there, books. He's like, hey, tranquilo. What? I'm like, what's been happening here? Just the usual. Everything's just moving slowly and smoothly. I'm like, right, right, okay. And then it takes me a day or two to like go, okay, oh yeah, Augusto pace, nature pace. Now, not everyone has access to a nice Portuguese farm, but most people have some access to nature if they, if they wanted to find it. Most cities have a park and most people don't go to the park. Uh, most skies have sun in them and a lot of people never stand in the sun. You need 20 minutes of sunlight minimum a day. And if you're in Australia, only no more than that, otherwise you'll get skin cancer. So Australia, you've got 20, tw you have to be out in the sun no less than 20, but no more than 30, otherwise you'll die of skin cancer. So 25 minutes is good. The rest of the world, an hour is fine. Uh, yeah, the, the fact that we are animals, and you know, that's the thing that all prior religions tried to deny, right? So Christianity or the Muslim world or what, or would say, they, they never said we were animals. 
They said, we are, we are a different thing. We are, we are separate from nature. We, are, we have domination over nature. Uh, any of those base level instincts that come up, those animalistic desires, that's you being pulled down into a different type of not human. So how do we fight that? We fight it with moralism. And that's what they did. Okay, you have the human impulse to steal and lie and cheat and rape and, and you know, I don't know, party. Okay, how do we deal with that? We force you not to do it by applying shame, uh, ritual, ritualized expressions of it sometimes, ritualized expressions of violence, for example, or of sexuality sometimes comes into the culture. And then it's suppressed because you're not an animal. But the thing is you are, you are an animal. You are all animal. Everything about you is animal. There is nothing not animal about you at all. So all your desires, all your needs. So you need this. Why is the color green so attractive to humans? Because we need to be around this, right? We need, <laughs> we need this. It's not optional. Because you, you remove yourself from it for your entire life and you become this pasty, sallow, disconnected, uh, feeble, unhealthy version of yourself because you're not in contact with your ecosystem. You don't have to go back and live in an organic farm like me, but if you actually take time daily to go for a walk to the park, take your shoes off and walk around on the grass for five minutes, it's you will be way less depressed. Yeah, you will feel more joy. You will get the simple kicks, the simple hits of, ah, I'm alive and, and life is here with me. You know, this is, this is part, this is all, we're all, we're communicating. I'm breathing out, it's breathing in. You know, I'm here as an animal in my environment. There is no substitute for that, right? So get a bit of it in, take time for it. It's so worth it. And don't listen to a podcast while you're doing it. <laughs> just don't listen to a podcast. Just take it out and just sit and chill. I could go on and maybe I will. I was talking to Shay about this today because Shay's my go-to guy for this kind of thing. Luckily he's just over there. Uh, and I was like, let's talk about this healing stuff. Oh, here's some ideas. And, and Shay, Shay started riffing and ranting and I was scribbling stuff and we're throwing ideas and I'm like, whoa, dude, whoa, dude, this goes deeper again. We're going to have to do another video, but I think you should do it. So, because there was a lot of elements in the, like, how does the psychology approach healing? Like that makes a massive difference in terms of that, those presuppositions, right? What is, what is the over, overarching um, program that you carry around inside yourself because if it's a faulty program it can fuck you up in almost every way like even when you're trying to do the right thing or you're trying to heal uh, you can have these internal processes that keep pulling you off and uh, leading you into an area where you just of delusion or of distraction or, or back into the complexities of your own depression so Shay's got a lot to say about that it's it's part of the problem he's had over the years because he's trying he's always been trying to like how do I untangle this very complex mess of what it means to be a walking wounded human who's trying to heal themselves. And <laughs> it's a lot harder to do than it is to teach a guy to go and meet a girl on the street, for sure. But those things are interrelated, right? The, the guys that get good with the girls are the guys that get good with themselves along the way. Not good with themselves first, completely healed, sealed, done deal. Cool. Um, <laughs> it's the guys that are like, okay, I'm a piece of shit sometimes. I'm scared and sad sometimes. I'm awesome sometimes. I'm, I reckon I can do it. And I also reckon I can't do it. But I'm going to do it. Right? That guy who's moving through, making mistakes, getting traumatized, getting damaged, <coughs> not just picking himself up and going, okay, I'll tough my way through. Pick myself up and go, all right, I broke a bit of myself there. Or a bit of myself got damaged. 
or my heart's been hurt, or my, my ego has been dented, or my pride, or I've been, I feel shamed, whatever it is, and, and I need to process that. Maybe it's, I need to process it by listening to the feedback and going, I should have been shamed, or I should have been criticized, and I need to change my behavior. Or maybe I don't, maybe that's their shit that they've been putting on me. And I can just go, no thanks, I don't need that, and, and I need to develop ways to develop a, a clearer boundary system. Or maybe it's stuff that's, that's happened to me a long time ago, or I thought happened to me because I interpreted something. And then it's, I've been carrying this with me for many, many years. Right? Any of these, these things that we're carrying around with us, uh, if, we, if we look at this journey to success, which includes your money and your women and your whatever else, if we, if we include our, one of our primary metrics as being okay with ourselves, and hopefully feeling good about ourselves, and maybe even feeling great about ourselves most of the time, that's real self-development. That's a worthy goal. That's worth putting your time, your money, your effort into. Just another how-to book on how to get another 5% of productivity, or you know, here's this other trick that kind of helps you do things better. Like, yes, there's great tricks. There's great tools that create leverage that go, hey, do this, and then it works three times better cool, check them out, use them, but the tool is never the answer. The map is never the territory, right? The tool, like there is almost no tools that I learned like 20 years ago that I still have with me, only like four or five, and I've tried many. So I, I still stretch in more or less the same way as I used to, and I still meditate in more or less the same way I used to, but everything else, my movement practices, my martial art practices, my thinking technology practices, my healing practices, uh, my communication practices, all of those things have changed over time. I've taken, picked up tools, used them for a while, dumped them when they weren't useful anymore or when I didn't need them anymore or when I wanted to work on something else. Don't get dogmatic. Don't, get, don't become a follower of anything. Really, I don't... Unless you just want to rest, you know, unless you want, okay, cool, I found my school of this. It works for me. I believe everything they do. Okay, fine. Like if, if you find something that really does work for you and it involves you believing in something and it makes it easier for you to do that, okay, fine, do it. I wouldn't do it because I, I am always suspicious of belief because I know that believing something means that I can't believe in other things. I can't, I can't, if I believe in something, it means that I say, this is true, which means that I'm saying the other options are untrue. I would say that that is a de defining cornerstone of belief and I don't want to only believe in one thing. Especially as you go about this healing journey, you may found a therapist who really works for you or a system that really works for you, and you may think that's the answer. And it may be for a while, but there may be a three-day, you know, you might become a Hare Krishna and just, you're all about that because it works so well for you. It made you feel great. And then three years later, you might find yourself just quietly, you know, rubbing that off your forehead, putting your orange robes away and going, I don't need that anymore. Like, I got a lot out of that. I got too much into it, and now I don't need it anymore. And hopefully you feel the same way about me. Seriously, I hope I make myself redundant. I hope you came at some point, you learned either digitally or you actually come to me to speed it up and learn <clears throat> in person. And at some point you're like, that James Marshall, that was good for back in those days, but I'm, I'm kind of moved on from that kind of thing now. I don't need that anymore. Good, I want to be redundant in your life because that means that I was a tool or my methodology was a tool or a process that you picked up, used, and, and then hopefully got what you needed and then moved to another stage. Speaking of which, the Lifestyle Design Academy, is, is it already out or coming out on this video? Coming out. It's coming out because we're releasing it before. Sometimes I don't know when the video is coming out or what day it is. So coming extremely soon is the uh, opening day of my Lifestyle Design Academy. 
17th of May. And this is essentially the blueprint for living the life that I've just described for you. It's not, don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm going to be there just doing therapy on you for eight weeks and not just talking about your childhoods. And, and, and in fact, I will not be doing specific therapy on you, right? That's not, that's not exactly what I'm looking at. But I will be looking at a lot of these things. How do we implement therapeutic tools in our life? How do we seek out the right mentors or the right therapists or the right schools of, of action or thought in ways that are going to assist you? That's a, that's a part of it. But, well, and, and also connected to that is, okay, how do I construct my life so that I am moving on those multiple metrics that I spoke about, not just the you know, muscle and girl and money as separate things, but looking at your life as a, as a masterpiece art, artwork, right? I'm painting the artwork of my life and it doesn't just have four colors. It has a whole range of grade of colors. It has different scenes. It has a foreground and a background, a future and a present and a past and so on. And altogether it becomes a masterpiece. That's what you want to do, is have a masterpiece life, I would say. And that's what the Lifestyle Design Academy is designed to do. To help you to, not instantly, not overnight, but certainly in the eight weeks that we work together, which will, some of that will be lockdown time, and I suspect some of that will be open time, Look, judging by how things are going. So it's an incredible way to do a breakdown, autopsy on your current life, including your social circle, your personal internal practices like we've been talking about, the way that you use time, money, uh, and attention, and then to be able to funnel all those resources that you have into a much more effective template. That allows you to create leverage, and that's what I'm all about. I'm all about doing less and getting more, right? I'm all about delegation. I'm all about uh, optimizing in a way that's fun and fairly simple. I'm all about carving out time for the things that I really want to do, and I'm, all, and I'm also all about making those things also profitable, right? So when you learn to design a great life, your passion can become your <clears throat> job. It doesn't have to be. It can. Your uh, passion can be shared with a friendship group that, that then uh, blows out the effects that it has. Right? You can tie together the way that you use money with freedom, with travel, with seeking mentorship with women. Right? And you will, because one way or another, all of your resources will be used in some way or another to try and create the life that you want. Everyone's doing that. Just that some people do it better than others. Some people have a better blueprint than others. Some people understand the dead ends, and so they don't waste as much time. And then others just have to blindly figure it out in the dark, and, and maybe they don't get as far as they could. I'm here to help you get as far as you can. If you'd like to join me, check out the free taste below. Click the link, you'll get a free 90-minute rant, as if you just haven't had enough ranting. You're like, I need another 90 minutes. I'm like, all right, another 90 minutes. Put your email below, and you'll get it. And then stay tuned for lots more info. The launch coming up 17th of May. This is James Marshall signing out from my chair in my field. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles, Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.